When I was a child growing up in Denver, Colorado, our family would rarely miss our favorite TV show called Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible would always start with this tape-recorded message. The voice would say, your mission, Jim. Of course, Jim was played by Peter Graves, this man on the left here. Your mission, Jim, should you decide to accept it. He'd always accept it. We knew that was a given, right? And then the voice would conclude after giving the details of the impossible mission. The voice would say, this tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Jim. Mission Impossible aired from 1966 to 1973 on CBS. ABC revived it for two years, beginning in 1988. Beginning in 1996, though, Tom Cruise, the one and only Tom Cruise, he did a series of eight movies. They were all titled Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. Have you ever had someone come up to you and ask you to do something? Maybe it was your boss or a president of a company, or uh, maybe it was a spouse or a professor or a teacher or a pastor, and, and this person came up to you, and, and they asked you to do something, and, and, and you thought to yourself, I don't have the education, I don't have the background, I don't have the money, I don't have the connections, I don't have the experience, I don't have the skills, I don't have the patience. That's impossible. Daniel chapter 2, 11. The thing that the king asks is impossible. Welcome to Daniel's world. <laughs> we just heard about it, right? King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. We all have dreams. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And there's just one small problem one teensy-weensy tiny problem is Nebuchadnezzar wants that dream interpreted, but he won't give any details of the dream. And there's another kind of small minor problem. If the wise men in his court in Babylon don't interpret the dream, those wise men will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be laid waste. No wonder the Babylonian... Magicians and enchanters and sorcerers and Chaldeans uh, cry out here in Daniel 2.11, the thing that the king asks is impossible. So what do you do when you're faced with a mission impossible? Welcome to Daniel 2. Daniel 2 helps us. Daniel is one of the wisest people in the whole Bible. Uh, Daniel chapter 2 gives us the meat and potatoes, very practical steps on what to take when we are faced with the impossible. First, don't panic. 
<laughs> Easier said than done, right? Don't panic. Now, Daniel has every reason to panic. How would you like to try and interpret a dream of someone uh, when uh, that person gives you no details of the dream? How would you like to be in Daniel's shoes where Nebuchadnezzar is kind of done with all of this fiddling around and all of this delaying and he's ready for heads to roll and Nebuchadnezzar sends his chief executioner knocking on your door. You would panic, so would I, but not Daniel. Look what Daniel does. Daniel 2.14. Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. Daniel's only 17 years old. Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful person on the planet, Nebuchadnezzar has dispatched Arioch, who can't be a warm and fuzzy kind of a guy, and he is there to make heads roll. And Daniel replies with prudence and discretion. Whoa! Not bad for a teenager. (laughs) Not bad for anybody. So what's got you panicked? What keeps you up at night? What causes your stomach to need more Tums and Rolades and Pepto-Bismol. That mountain of personal debt. That messy situation in your family. That, that teenager, that parent, that professor. Uh, that boss. <laughs> those stakeholders in the company. What's got you panicked? Now, we can't talk ourselves out of panic. I've tried this before. I'll give myself a pep talk. That doesn't work very well. I can't feel myself out of panic. I can't argue myself out of panic. The only way to deal with panic is to move against panic. And that's what Daniel does. He has prudence and discretion. You know, that's another name for wisdom. Prudence and discretion... Daniel, as I said, is one of the wisest people in the biblical narrative. Daniel has prudence and discretion. So Daniel understands he's wise enough to know that Arioch isn't calling all the shots, that Nebuchadnezzar isn't calling all the shots. Daniel's wise enough to understand that there is another power, a higher power, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who made the heavens and the earth. So Daniel doesn't panic because he has perspective. Perspective, that's, that's what he's got. So panic never pays. Panic never ever pays. You're faced with a mission impossible. <laughs> Look to God for prudence and discretion so he can show you he is the king of kings. Daniel 2 verse 15. Ask why. Ask why. Now, when you're faced with a mission impossible, the the first reaction is to get emotional. (laughs) Right? Maybe you cry. Maybe you scream. 
Maybe you throw things. I don't know. But, but you get emotional. I mean, it, it hits you right in your gut. You might cry. You might sweat. And it's very understandable. It's okay. We're, we're emotional people. It's natural to get emotional when your world is caving in. But you can't stay there. Ask why. Uh, look what Daniel says. Here's Arioch, right? The, the chief butcher of Babylon. Probably six foot five, weighs 450 pounds, and plays middle linebacker for the Green Bay Packers. And Daniel responds to this guy, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Why? Why? So when you're faced with a mission impossible, uh, you don't want to go with your feelings. You want to go with the facts, the facts of the situation. How do you find out the facts? You ask why. Why is the decree so urgent? Why is Nebuchadnezzar talking about this dream? Why has he targeted the Babylonian magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and Chaldeans? Why? Get as much information as you can. You never want to make a major decision based on feelings. So don't panic. Get perspective. Ask why. Daniel 2, 16. Take time. Take time. Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Now, usually, if you're like most people, when you have a mission impossible, you think the dam is going to break. Uh, the whole thing's going to blow up. The world is going to come to an end. We need to make a decision, and we need to make it right now. We need to be urgent. We, we need to be on top of it. And that normally doesn't turn out so well. It's much more important to make a right decision than a quick decision. I'll say that again, just for my benefit, Mr. Impulsive right here. It's much better to make a right decision than a quick and fast decision. Take time. Don't be impulsive. Take a step back. Cool down. Take time. Take time especially to talk about your situation with other believers. That's what Daniel does. So he takes time, 2.16, 2.17, and 18. He goes to his house. Made the matter known to Hananiah, Misael, and Azariah. We know them by their Babylonian names, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are the Hebrew names. Same guys, same companions of Daniel. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, right? The mystery of the, the dream that we have no details of. So that Daniel and his companions may not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel realizes that his logic, his insights, his acumen isn't going to be enough. 
Daniel wants people to pray for him, to seek mercy from the God of heaven. When you're out of money or you're going to file for bankruptcy, you need people to pray for you, right? I need mercy from the God of heaven when we are at the end of our rope. When we don't have the resources or the intellect or the education, we need mercy from the God of heaven. When our hearts are broken and bleeding, we need mercy from the God of heaven. So we take time. We're not going to be impulsive on this. It's more important to make the right decision than a fast decision. We take time especially to share our heartache in our mission impossible with other believers. Next, 219. Expect help. Help. Divine help. Supernatural help. Then the mystery of this dream was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. So if you're praying... God, I need this money, I need this open door, I need this relationship, I need this break, and you don't really think God is going to come through. Don't waste your time. Don't bother. God doesn't respond to carping and criticizing. God doesn't respond to moaning and groaning. But God does respond to trust. He does respond to faith. He does respond to belief. And he does it instantaneously. And you're saying, oh, I believe, but but I still have unbelief. Welcome to the club. Mark chapter 9, verse 24. A Roman centurion comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So I'm not talking about having just perfect faith, not at all. No one's got that. I'm saying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe that you are going to help me in this situation. I expect help, divine help, divine help from the God of heaven. And God acts in faith when we've got it. So the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Here it is. The dream is about this statue of a king. And and the king has a head of gold and arms of silver and a waist of bronze and feet of iron and legs of iron and clay. That's the dream. Then the dream continues with this humongous statue, right? And a rock, a rock, a stone comes from heaven and what's it do? It pummels and pulverizes the statue. Whoa. So let's review. When we are faced with an impossible situation, which usually happens on a weekly basis on planet Earth, we don't panic, we get perspective, we ask why, we take time, especially asking people to pray for us. And we expect help. But the most important step 
is to see the stone. See the stone. That's what Daniel says. Toward the end of Daniel chapter 2, we have these words. The iron, the clay. So we're going from, from the bottom of the statue now to the top. All right? The, the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces. Became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. Isn't that just amazing? It's like they never existed. But the stone, remember the stone that comes from heaven, that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So who's the stone? Who's the stone that comes and (laughs) pulverizes the statue and then becomes a great mountain and fills the entire world? Who's the stone? If we're going to see the stone, if that's the most important piece when we have a mission impossible, we have to know the identity of the stone. Well, here it is. So historically, in Daniel chapter 2, the golden head stands for the empire of Babylon. The silver chest is going to be the next empire, Persia. The Persians, if you know anything about ancient and Eastern history, are defeated by the Greeks in 333 B.C. by a man named Alexander that we call the Great. And then after the the Greek period, we have, of course, Roman rule. So that's what these different metals stand for. We go from Babylon to Persia to to Greece to Rome, and and then apparently, and this is true, during Roman rule, this is when the stone comes. And when the stone comes, there will not be a trace of these other kingdoms. And the stone is the Messiah. Messiah. Uh, which is uh, the Hebrew word, Mashiach, the Greek word would be Christ, and both Messiah and Christ mean the anointed one. Well, (laughs) we understand who the stone is, who the mighty rock is. And the consensus of the New Testament is that this stone, this stone is the Lord Jesus. Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Peter especially picks this up. Well, you know why? Because Peter, Peter, you know a little bit of Greek, Peter, petrify, right? Peter means rock, right? He's the Petros. So, so no wonder Peter is, is so mesmerized with this stone because that's his name. Peter says, come to Jesus. Who's Jesus? He's the living stone. And that's a mixed metaphor, how many of you have ever seen a living stone? Stones aren't alive. They don't, they don't have organic or life-giving properties. Stones are stones. They're rocks. It's, it's a compelling metaphor that this stone we're talking about it, it is strong and sturdy and unbreakable, but he is very much alive. He's rejected by men. That's Good Friday but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. 
Jesus is the living stone. He is secure. He's stable. He's a rock and he's alive. And then Peter goes on, mesmerized with stones and rocks. Peter says, this stone, 1 Peter 2, 7, the builders rejected. No one wanted Jesus. Again, we're at Good Friday. Both of these verses talk about the rejection of Jesus. But that does not override God's plan. Because crucifixion leads to resurrection, and Jesus is now the cornerstone. Another metaphor, right? You know what a cornerstone is. A cornerstone, at least in antiquity, right? Today, cornerstones are just for show. But in antiquity, cornerstones held the whole edifice, the whole building together. And the stone the builders rejected, because he's alive, he's a living stone, he is the cornerstone. Jesus holds life together. Jesus holds you together. Especially when you're faced with a mission impossible. What's your sinking feeling these days? What is occupying your mind? When am I going to get married? When am I going to get pregnant? When are we going to have kids? When are we going to retire? When are we going to finally be healthy again? When, 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 when? It's all impossible. And we feed ourselves with this word, it's impossible. Just forget it. Give in, give up, give out, check out. It's not going to happen. It's impossible. When impossible sits on you like a heavy elephant and you can't breathe anymore, and you've tried everything else, why not try Daniel too? Don't panic. Ask why, take time, expect help. But above all of that, see the stone, the cornerstone. Jesus who holds it together, who holds us together. Jesus (laughs) who makes the impossible possible. No wonder the hymn writer said, on Christ the solid rock, rock I stand. All other ground, (laughs) all other ground, folks. It just sink and sand. He wrote it. Let's stand and sing it.